0: Tools for Living, Room to Grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 39. Well, hey there, sweet friend. Hope you're having a delightful summer. I'm so excited about today's episode because I have a chance to talk with Liz Bohannon. She's an author and an entrepreneur who's created a business that's literally changing lives around the world. But it's her down-to-earth wisdom that I've really appreciated. We talk about so many things from the power of dreaming small, isn't that an interesting approach, to the importance of making promises and keeping them. But it's our discussion about social media that really kind of has stuck with me because you know, so many times we are trying to live our lives according to someone else's specifications rather than going to the Lord to find out what He wants it to look like. I hope you'll stick around for Liz's testimony about how she came to meet the Lord at the end. It's so beautiful. So, without further ado, here's Liz. I'm so excited to be with Liz Bohannon today. She's the founder of Seiko Designs and the author of a wonderful book called Beginner's Pluck. Build your life of purpose and impact now. Liz, welcome to the living room. Thank you so much for having me in your, in your proverbial living room. That's right. Hey, tell those girls out there that maybe aren't familiar with you what you do, what Seiko Designs is all about, and just a little bit of your story
1: yeah so my name is Liz. I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri and went to the University of Missouri where I studied journalism and Throughout my time in journalism school, I became increasingly interested in issues that were facing women and girls that were living in extreme poverty and in conflict and post conflict zones and So I graduated from university and went out and kind of had the, you know this big dream to find my dream job, which I think at the time was really hoping that some you know, journalistic entity would hire me to travel the world and kind of tell the stories um, and, and raise awareness for these global issues. Well, it turns out um, that no one's really interested in hiring a 22-year-old who doesn't really have journalism experience and has never really left the United States to go be like a global war correspondent, right? So I get a job at a corporate communication firm in my hometown. And I am about three months into that job when I kind of have this realization, this kind of come to Jesus moment where I realize that, okay, there's this thing that I say I really care about. I really care about women living in global extreme poverty and in conflict and post-conflict zones. And yet here's my life and here's kind of the track that I've chosen and that I'm on and I could kind of, you know, relatively play out the foreseeable future of like being in this job and doing this thing and realizing that, that the life that I was building was entirely unaffected by this thing that I said I actually cared about. And for me, it really clicked or hit home when I had this moment where I realized, you don't have a single friend who is a girl who grew up in extreme poverty. Like Mm -hmm. your community, your life, your relationships are totally unaffected by it. It is literally just an intellectual belief that you hold and really kind of grappling with, well, I say I'm passionate about this thing, but really it's kind of just that I have a strong opinion about it. It's not passion because my life isn't actually affected by it at all. Um, And so that was a really powerful moment. I think the word I would use honestly is conviction of like feeling like there was an integrity gap between what I said I cared about and the life that I was building. And so in that moment, I kind of felt like, okay, you can do one of two things. You can just stop talking about that thing. Like say, like kind of give it up and stop saying, you know, you're really passionate about it and, and just go on and kind of do this thing and build a safe life and make money and get married and have the kids and do the thing. Or you can actually um, make a decision to kind of close that gap between what you say you care about and your actual life. And so I, um, bought a one-way plane ticket to Uganda. (laughs) I quit my job. Uh, I was in the height of a recession. I had never been to Africa before. Um, Again, wasn't like a particularly well-traveled person at this time. And really my only goal was to just show up and to close that gap, to say like, I just want my life and my community and my relationships to be a little bit more reflective of this thing that I say I really care about. And so I showed up in Uganda just Absolutely a wreck. I mean, like, had no idea what I was doing, didn't have a job, didn't have an idea of why I was there beyond just, like, friendship, but it doesn't feel very good in the time. When people are like, wow, why did you quit your job in the Hyder Vera session to move to Uganda? And you're like, um, just trying to make a friend, you know, like <laughs> not very impressive sounding. Um, which I can laugh about now, but frankly at the time was really difficult. You yeah. know, my friends and my parents and kind of everybody's like, Wait, you're doing what? Like, um, so I showed up and felt pretty insecure just about how kind of like aimless I was and uh really just like wandered around the country, spent time doing what I said I was going to do, which is literally just like making friends and building community. And through that process, I ended up kind of becoming friends with a group of people who introduced me. One thing kind of led to another thing. And I ended up at this youth development organization, um, just about an hour outside of Kampala, which is the main city in Uganda. And I stepped foot on this campus and I was like, oh my gosh, because it's a two-year college prep program. Basically their target group is women who are really academically gifted, who show a lot of leadership capacity and potential, um, but who come from backgrounds of extreme poverty. So they get thousands of applicants a year. They pick the top 25 girls to come to this program. So just like if you can imagine – the energy, the intellect, the like dreams, the scheming that's happening on this high school campus. It is a, it's literally one of my favorite places on earth. It's just electric. Right. And so I was like, oh my gosh, these young women, like their stories were just wild. I mean, so much heartbreak and heartache, but so much grit and perseverance and vision And I was like, I just want to be a part of their story. Like, they're the ones that are going to go on to create real and meaningful change. And I just, like, whatever part that I can play in that, great. And so I honestly just hung out for a long time. I was, like, writing profile stories on the women and kind of doing some, like, help with their, like, Quarterly newsletter, but really, I was just hanging out if we're being honest. And just through hanging out, I learned about this issue because the, all the teachers and the principals and the administrators are talking about this kind of growing challenge that they're facing. And that challenge is there's a nine month gap between high school and university in Uganda. And so, what was happening with this specific group of young women? is they were graduating from high school and they were going back home to their villages. And what happened when they went back home to their villages between, you know, for that nine month gap is that um, they went back to look for jobs so that they could pay for university and they couldn't find jobs. Most of them are from areas with an 80% youth unemployment rate. So it's like any economic opportunity that does exist Typically defaults to the boys. Next, they lose their social support network. Right, so for the last two years, they've been with other women who are super driven, who are really ambitious, teachers and principals who are like, "Yes, you can go to college, and yes, you can become a leader in their commu- your community." And then they go back home to their villages where they might be the first women in their entire village who have even graduated from high school, let alone who have aspirations for university and beyond. There's a ton of pressure on them in the form of bride price to get married and to start Mm -hmm. having kids right away. And so I just kind of got wrapped up into this like conversation that was happening. And for me at the time, it just felt like an absolute no brainer. Like, okay, here are 25 of the brightest young women in the country. The fact that not every single one of them would continue on to university and continue with you know pursuing their plans and their dreams for becoming leaders is stupid. Like surely there's something we can do to bridge this nine month gap. Um, And so long story, Long, long story short, I uh, ended up starting a, a nonprofit, a charity, and. Became really convinced through that process of just more interviewing, more asking questions, more digging in um, that for this specific scenario, like we need to be thinking beyond that. We need to be thinking in a way that we're creating marketplace opportunity where we're contributing to the local economy, where we're doing things where these young women could earn an income, learn skills um, that could have an effect, not just on these women and their families, but really on the broader community. And so became very convinced that we needed to to start a business. Um, And so I started a chicken farm. And that failed pretty miserably, mainly because I got into it and was just like, oh, like, I am not excited to wake up every day and think about chickens. This is, this is bad. This is really bad. Um, And then I ended up designing is honestly a generous word. I had made a pair of these strappy sandals when I was in college. I didn't really have any interest in fashion but I wanted a pair of flip-flops that didn't flop. And so I uh, designed these sandals and they, I I made them at the time out of like rubber flip-flop bottoms. I'd ripped the kind of like um, plastic thong piece off and I replaced it with some just like kind of ribbon that I had laying around. And I had, flip-flops that didn't flop. So fast forward a few years and I'm just brainstorming like, what is something we could do or make? It needs to kind of check these different boxes. And one of my friends from back home was like, what about those like funky, like strappy sandals that you made when we were in college? Like, is that something you could make? And I was like, sure. I can't think of anything better, you know, like, and I've tried a few things and they've all failed. And so I made a pair of these sandals kind of spent a few months, like prototyping them going all over the country, kind of trying to like cobble together a supply chain for them and then came back to the school. And we're like, all right, who are, who are three women that you feel really confident will go to college If they, you know, have the opportunity, we'll do really well and we'll go on to become leaders in their communities, but just based off of their home life and their family life and where they come from, we'll probably really struggle to make that happen. And so the school came back and they had chosen three women, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. And so I sat down with Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca, and I was like, all right, ladies, here's the deal. If you make these sandals for the next nine months, I promise that you will go to college next year. And they were like, okay. (laughs) And I was like, ah,
0: Okay. And
1: uh, and how old are you? Oh gosh, I was 22. Oh my word oh my word, making this big promise to these girls. Huge promise. Oh, yeah. It just felt like absolutely enormous. And I am a really big believer. There's actually an entire chapter of my book called um, Making and Keeping Important Promises. And I just absolutely believe really deeply that one of the most fundamental parts of building a life of purpose and passion and impact is having the courage to make promises. By the way, to make them before you've actually got it totally figured out to speak them out loud and to hold yourself accountable for them. It's really actually just a matter of like really simple integrity. Like, will you be someone who has the courage to make a promise and to say it out loud? And then will you be someone that has the integrity to keep that promise? And I, and this to me, obviously I'm choosing like one of the biggest, most fundamental, most life changing promises I ever made. Like literally that promise changed the entire trajectory of my life because I went home and I'm trying to sling these sandals, you know, and like, uh, it's not going great. It's like kind of working, kind of not working. It was so difficult, but I know a hundred percent had I left Uganda and told those young women, I'm going to go home and see what happens. Like you make these sandals, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do the best that I can. I no, for absolute fact, a month, two months, three months, four months in, I would have pulled the plug. I would have been like, I did my part. I tried, I tested it out. I saw what I could do. I got as far as far as I could. But if the promise I had made is like, I'll go try, I just, I wouldn't have pushed myself. But the reality is, I kid you not, throughout that first year, a constant ringing in my brain was like, you made a promise. I could go back and I could envision myself sitting on that patch of grass with these three young women, looking them in the eye and saying like, I promise if you do this, I will do my part. And I knew that if the sandal thing didn't work out, I just have to go out and do beg for money. Like I was 22 and broke as a joke. So it's like, I didn't have like a, you know, I didn't have a backup plan. So for me, it was like, you either go and sell those sandals or you go like beg everybody that you know for money. And I didn't want to do that. Um, and so that promise pushed me so many steps further from when I, where I would have naturally given up. But I, so I focus on this, you know, in this story, there's this really huge promise, but frankly, it's, it can be such small promises. Like literally it's just about having integrity and saying like, I need to move my body for 30 minutes a day three days a week and saying like, I, and I'm going to say that out loud. And then I'm going to actually take that as seriously as if I looked three girls in the eye in East Africa and said, I'm going to do this. Like, it's not just even keeping promises to other people, but just keeping promises to ourselves. And so often, like we give up on ourselves so much more frivolously than we would ever do to people that we care about, right? Where it's like, you know, our integrity that we have in promising a friend that we're going to show up for something specific can be a lot greater than even the integrity that we have when we say like, this is something that I want to do for me. And we don't think about it. I think if we even switch our mentality of like, I said I was going to do this thing, but like life got really busy and I should be doing this and da, 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 da. And just like, you know, I made a promise and I broke that promise to myself. I, I don't have integrity. Um, that at least for me, that's a really, really powerful way to shift it. And I, and I also talk in the book about how promises are so sacred. You can't be making promises all the time. Like, because you can't actually, it's not sustainable to be like, I promise to do this. I promise to do that. Like getting really serious about like, you only have a precious small amount of promises that you can make. I truly believe that to build a life of purpose and passion and impact, if we do the work up front to say, let my yes be yes and let my no be no and be more comfortable with saying no Mm. to a lot more stuff, it actually leaves us with a smaller amount of things. But those things hold a greater amount of importance and they're really sacred and we say them out loud and we make promises about it. And in my book, I actually outline a whole kind of process for making really important promises and making promises that align with your vision for what you want out of your life um, because we can spend our whole lives being busy yeah, and, and feeling like we should be doing a million things and getting some of them done and not getting some of them done. And at the end of the day and at the end of the year and at the end of a decade, we just feel exhausted. But then we look at our life and we're like, but what, what am I doing? And there's this chasm between what I want and what I've built. And I truly believe that part of that is because we didn't do the work on the front side to figure out what our promises are to make those promises and then to keep them.
0: I love this part of your book because I think the thing that was really powerful to me is you take it beyond like doing something big in the world and you bring it down to, to even something I thought it was so great how you talked about, you know, you, we all want to be a great mom. Or a great wife or or a great friend. Yeah. But then taking a time to actually define what that looks like without letting other people define it for us. Can you talk about that?
1: Oh yes. It's this is so it's so important because especially in today's age of like social media and we see everybody's life and we know what everyone else is doing and what they think is important. We unconsciously have this impossible amalgamation of, because everybody's just sharing like the thing that they've chosen to be important for them, right? So you are on a daily basis seeing 100 things that 100 different people are like, this is my thing. And this is what I think is important. And subconsciously what we're doing is we're thinking like, oh my gosh, in order to be a good mom, a good CEO, a good wife, a good sister, I do those 100 things, because that's your kind of unconscious amalgamation of what it means to be a great mom, wife, sister, friend, whatever it is. Um, And that puts in an absolutely impossible standard upon us because none of those people are doing all 100 things, right? They've chosen, they're like few things. Um, And so in order for us, and, and here's the thing, if you really lean into it, my guess is that if you look at those 100 things... 70 of them, if you're being really honest with you, with yourself, you don't actually think are that important. Yeah. But you've like believed this narrative that other people say they're important. So they must be important for me. Mm, that's so good. And so what I've had to do, and I've, I saw a mom of two little boys. So I've got a three and a half year old son and a one and a half year old son. And so I've just seen it really clearly for myself in motherhood of just having to get frankly ruthless with shutting out the entire world, Frankly, in just getting with myself and with the Lord and with my husband and maybe with two or three other women that are like my core core people, and by the way, even those two or three other women have very not very different but different definitions of what it means to be a good mom and and just getting down to the work of saying, "Who did God make you to be Liz and yeah. Bohannon? who are the children that He gave mm-hmm. you because that 's the other thing it 's like well being a great mom, our kids have very different like Needs and dispositions, and like we have different, like uh, probably a different family vision than somebody else, and different goals for what our life looks like. So, of course, in the day to day, how I am manifesting motherhood is going to look different from the person next to me. And I need to be in a place where I'm saying the things that I'm giving my time and my energy to are the things that I can authentically and with integrity say these matter to me. These are important to me, and there are ninety-nine things that I can say I should be doing. That someone else is doing that. Someone's looking at me and thinking that I'm like, you know, not doing the right thing because I'm not doing those things. And if I'm being really honest, I'm like, I don't think those things actually matter. They might matter for her, just doesn't really matter very much for me.
0: How freeing that is if we can get to that place where we're where we're willing to go. That's cool. Yeah, having a Pinterest worthy, Instagram worthy birthday party for your kid. Awesome. But my kid really doesn't care about that. And maybe he just wants a really just a mommy and daddy time. And I love that. Amen.
1: Amen. I mean, and that that you've used it a great example like of just like for my kids birthdays it's like, are we, so we live in a community. We live on what we joke is like a little urban commune with some of our best friends and birthday parties consist of dinner. We're lucky to have summer babies. So dinner in the backyard, I go to the dollar store and I buy four packages of those giant balloons, blow them up, let the kids play, get four cans of whipped cream. <laughs> and say, do what you want with this. Go wild. You want to eat it. You want to fight with it. You want to play within the pool. Great. And, like, and, you know, order $1.50 tacos from, like, the Tacarillo down the street. And it's just like, if I shut out the rest of the world and I look at what's happening in front of me, it's beautiful and it's perfect. And it's all my kid needs Uh and it's all we need. And the level of just like stress is non-existent, the freedom that exists there. But, um, Oh man, it's just like, it, it's difficult, but it is so worth it to be on the other side of saying like, and I can look at somebody else who does the thing. And say, "Good for you!" If that truly is the thing that is bringing you life, and that you feel called to, and that feels really important in this season or this stage, like you be you, I will cheer so loudly for you. Which, by the way, we can't do for other people unless we have rootedness and security for ourselves. So, if I'm feeling insecure about the dollar taco party that I threw for my kid. What ends up happening is when I look at the mom who does the Pinterest worthy birthday party, one of two things are going to happen. Either I'm going to be really down on myself. I'm going to be like, you stink. You're not a great mom. You know, like you don't love your kid as much. You don't have your act together. You're selfish, whatever it is, whatever my like narrative is, or I'm going to look at the other mom and I'm going to be kind of judgy. And I, I've seen this in myself before and it's so ugly. I've just like, Wow she's got a lot of time on her hands, you know, like what is she not (laughs) doing with her life that, you know, like to protect myself from my own insecurities, I turn that judgment on to someone else. And then I am objectifying my neighbor because now they are just an object of me using them, distorting whoever they are and who God made them to be so that I can protect myself from my insecure feelings. Yeah. I see this so much with women, myself included we think it's us being insecure. We have this kind of language around insecurity, right? Of just like, I'm so insecure. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to say something that might sound a little bit harsh and that is hard to hear.
0: Bring it on.
1: Your insecurity might actually be a really sneaky version of narcissism. and of an overinflated ego. Because what you're doing when you're insecure is your ego is actually taking up more space and your ego is distorting other people in their lives and it's distorting the story of their lives and telling you a story that's going to make you feel better about the decision that you yeah. have made. And that it, we can't love one another. We cannot, like, I can't love that other mama who's making other decisions in life. I just posted about this on, um, on my Instagram because I had a moment with another mom and she was talking about her life and how she has recently decided to um, stay at home full time with her kids. And I'm a working mom and I work a lot. And, um, there were just a few things about what she said that just kind of sparked my insecurity. Right. And I start spiraling and I start, my first question is like, well, does she think I'm a bad mom? Because I'm not making that Uh decision." And then as insecurity and shame does, I spiraled more and it went from like, does she think I'm a bad mom to like, am I a bad mom? Like, am I missing out? You know what? And, and then I realized, Cool. This woman now, you know, it's like in Charlie Brown, the teacher that's like, that's what she's sharing about her life because I asked her about her life and I have completely lost my ability to even listen to anything else she's saying because now I'm spiraling in my own world of like, am I a good mom? What does she think about me? And I realized in this moment of just like, shut it down, Liz. Like, this isn't your insecurity. You are being an egomaniac right now. (laughs) This is... You you came to the table and asked this woman about her life. She gave you the gift of sharing about her actual life and now you've made it completely about yourself and you're spiraling and now you've lost the ability to actually sit across the table and listen to her and speak truth into her life and encourage her because you're spiraling with what she thinks about you. And for me because I have a desire to like, I want to be somebody that's like a good friend and a good listener and that can speak and show up and speak truth into other people's lives that compels me to do the work in my own life of like me being rooted and having confidence in my decisions and who I am as a wife, as a daughter, as a CEO, as a mother, as a sister, that confidence actually then gives me the ability to love other people so much better. It's not selfish It's not like we have this idea of like, I don't want to have an ego. I don't want to be overconfident. And I would argue that confidence gives you the ability to pour into other people because you're not like spiraling constantly and having to deal with your own stuff. You can say... I, I know what I believe. I did the hard work to pray about this and to ask, you know, for wise counsel and to make this decision. And I can stand in confidence that at least for this season of life, God has called me unequivocally into the workplace and to be, and to be a mom. And yeah. like out of that confidence, I can love you where you're at and say like, you may need to make a different decision for yourself and for your kids. But guess what?
0: That literally has nothing to do with me. It has to do with you that's so good liz that's so good and i think i think you know i i'm definitely older than you and so i raised my kids in a time where it wasn't constantly in front of me what everybody else was doing but but i think i think of that girl who's sitting at home and and she's saying i had a dream once
1: mm-hmm. i had
0: a dream i felt an urgency in my heart and and now we're like we're surrounded by this message of, you know, find your passion, even find your purpose. And I think it can almost be crippling at times. And I That's why I loved your book, because you talk a lot about putting those concepts, even what God has chosen to do in your life, putting it um, in a context that I think allows all of us to find our purpose even though it might not be on a big stage or in a big way or or even working full time or and creating something that changes the world like that we can be what god wants us to be in our little corner in in our little realm of influence can you kind of talk about that uh, what those things that i think are maybe causing a lot of discontent or even condemnation in women's lives yes
1: there is a an Abundance of anxiety and analysis, paralysis, and overwhelm that comes from this message of like, go find your passion. Like, if I hear someone say this phrase again, go find your dream job and you'll never work another day in your life. Please.
0: Okay. Hello. Preach it, sister. I don't think I've ever worked so hard. As in this online space.
1: And I am like, I am a proud representative. I am an ambassador from the island of dream job. Like I literally dreamed up my job and I am doing everything that is like that, you know, it is a manifestation of my deepest beliefs and the things that I love. And it is so freaking hard. Um, and there are days where I do wake up and I feel totally motivated and totally hashtag blessed. And then there are other days where I'm like, "What am I doing? What did I get myself into? Why ho gamo? Where do we go wrong here? You know?" And so by putting out these crazy, unrealistic like things of what it will be like when you make it, like I literally, man, just had somebody comment on my Instagram just a few days ago. I posted something that was like so exciting. I had Seth Godin um, include my book in his like fall book recommendation. So like such a, I just love him. I love his work. I respect him so much. So for him to not only like read my book and like it, but then list it as the number two book for other people to go out and read just, it truly was one of, it was as cool as it sounds. Like it really, I like laid in bed and just felt that like, you know, when you get the, fruit of like your hard work and your labor and this kind of like sense of affirmation. It's just like this giddy floating feeling. And then I had someone and I posted about it on Instagram and someone commented something to the effect of like, wow, you finally made it. And, and I will tell you that when I read that comment, my, my glowy bubble just went because immediately I was just like, Oh no, sister. I did it. And that's not how this works. Like, is this a highlight? Is this awesome? Is it so fun to relish? And like, you know, when, when you get to have this moments, yes, but like made it like, what does that mean? Like, no, this is not some magical thing that happened that from here on out, everything else is going to be easy and everything else is going to come to me. And like, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've just been through it too many times. I've had the thing that happens. That other people on the outside see is like, whoa, you did it. You arrived. And then I experienced the other side of it was like, it was awesome. It was amazing. It was so fun. Then I woke up the next morning and I got back to work and like things might be a little bit better, a little bit easier. Maybe there was this hit or we had sales or it, uh, you know, created a new connection. Definitely. But was it like the silver bullet magic? You finally arrived. Angels are singing from upon heaven. Like, nope. It was like a cool thing. We celebrated. We got back to work. That's where the real gold is. And that's how it happens for most of us. Like it isn't this just like crazy act of luck. It's part of the reason that I called the book Beginner's Pluck. So pluck as a noun means spirited and determined courage. And we have this saying in our community of like, who needs luck when you've got pluck? And this idea that it's like finding your passion has nothing to do with luck. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with pluck. Like, will you wake up with a sense of spirited and determined courage? Will you say like, where am I today? Where has God placed me? Will will you make important promises? Will you have integrity? Will you keep those promises? Will you be committed to them even when it's difficult or even when it doesn't go exactly, you know, as, as you hoped? And like, if you do that, If you are faithful to the small things over the series of days and weeks and years and decades, like that is how we don't find our passion and our purpose, but we build it.
0: Mm, That's so good. You know, and I, I just think as a girl, you know, called to ministry at like 16 and dreaming of doing big things for Jesus. And so there was always this. There was like this expectation of what mm-hmm. God was going to do with me that even when good things happened, I couldn't really celebrate yeah. because there was still more out there. And I think the thing I love about your story, even though God has done incredible things, you just did what God put in your heart. And I, don't, I just keep coming back to this sense. And I'd love to hear your opinion on this about that girl who's sitting there and all of a sudden she's 30-something and the dreams and the passion she had as a young woman and uh, feeling that burden like for the girls in Uganda or, or around the world. And yet she, whatever for whatever reason, her story didn't take that same trajectory. And there's this feeling even of like, yeah, I haven't fulfilled my purpose. Yeah, I really missed it because I made some choices back there maybe maybe I missed God's purposes for mm-hmm. my life. One of the things I love about your book is you talk about owning your average mm-hmm. and doing just the things that are in front of you. Could you could you just maybe speak to that girl? Yeah.
1: Well, sister, what I want to tell you is that it's impossible to um, miss the boat when it comes to your passion and your purpose. If you see the boat and it's driving by or floating by, uh, here's what I can tell you for sure. That wasn't your purpose and that wasn't mm. your passion because the nature of it is that you can't miss it if, it if it really is for you. Now, I can say that it might be on you to carve out some time and space to to start um, creating the room for God to reignite that flame. We can't keep doing what we're doing and expect to get different results, frankly. That if there is this sense that it's like, okay, I have this calling, I have this purpose, I had this dream, and one thing led to another thing, and I made this decision. Well, maybe it wasn't meant to be for 10 years ago. Maybe there is something that needed to happen in your life, in your character, in your story, in your relationships where you are actually more well-suited to do the thing today Mm. than you would have been last year, five years, 10 years ago. But I really, really would say you got to listen to those hunches and to those whispers because building a life of purpose and passion and impact, it isn't about waiting for the loud call. Like, I'm sorry but no one is going to come into your life. Like no one is going to knock on your door tomorrow and say, Julie, I've been thinking and praying about your gifts and your skills and your passions. And I came up with this vision for you. And I am here with a plan. And by the way, I've got, you know, the, I've, I've got it all figured out how we're going to make it happen. And childcare has been arranged and here's your financial <laughs> security. And um, here's the script for the conversation that you're going to need to have with your husband. Like, dream girl, that's not going to happen. Right. So there is a level of like, if, if it's not about waiting for that kind of magical moment where it becomes clear, where it feels like it's going to be easy. It is about getting really still and getting quiet or going out and having curious conversations with others that like a conversation alone can spark so much that it's like, okay, go out and like, ask a woman in your community who is doing something that, that, that you're like, Oh gosh, she just, you know, she's doing something that feels so similar to something that I want to do. Or I see a fruit in her life that feels like something I so deeply desire and ask her if you can take her to coffee and immediately people can be like, well, I've got three young kids and, you know, well, I've, I like, what if she thinks I'm weird or if that's like a burden. And it's just like, those are all, by the way, sister, those are questions that all of us ask. Yeah. We're not unique. Um, but what pluck is, it's spirited and determined courage. And it's like, okay, sister, uh, we all like, you're going to live a really boring, unfulfilled life. If you're like, constant decision making factor is like, oh will that be awkward? <laughs> like, will that be weird? I've literally never met somebody who was like, I am who God called me to be. I am like pursuing my purpose. And I mainly got there by being like, I'm just gonna try to not be awkward or put anybody out. You know, like we've got to get over that because if we're really rooted in our like identity as worthy and as created in the image of God, like we have no business in being ruled by other people's opinions. Um But the thing about owning your average is that there is this belief that is being perpetuated in culture right now that in order to build a life of purpose and passion and impact, you have to be above average, right? Like you've got to be extraordinarily intelligent or have this crazy awesome idea or have some like, you know, skill set or personality trait or blah, 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 blah. We have this idea that to build an extraordinary life of purpose and passion and impact, we need to be extraordinary. And sister, that could literally not be further from the truth. And this isn't just my opinion. Actually, there's like social science to back it. When we get to a place where we're like, "Uh, okay, probably inherently, I am pretty average. And that doesn't feel like a demoralizing, Mm. like resigning thing. That actually can be something that creates an incredible amount of freedom to go like, here's the thing. I probably am pretty average when it comes to intelligence, skill sets, you know, like talent, like that puts you into a posture actually of a growth mindset. And I find that two things happen. Not just me. I don't find it. The social science finds it, that when you actually believe that you're average instead of that, you're either like extraordinary and special or, you know, like extraordinarily unspecial when you're just like, yeah, I'm probably pretty average. What it does is it creates what social scientists call a growth mentality, Mm. which means you are much more likely to move in the direction of growth because you're more curious. You're more okay with trying things and failing because if you've got this psyche of like, I'm really special and I have to go out into the world and prove that I'm really special. Ooh. The stakes are very high. The stakes are very high for you to choose the next right thing that that even without ever having like practiced or tried, that you're going to be immediately really great at so that other people are going to look at you and go like, oh, she is really special. She is really good and successful at everything that she tries. And ultimately that's such an impossibly tall order that it paralyzes you. And then it puts you into a place of like that thing's never going to come along. So instead you just stay and you wait and you wait and you wait and you never get to the state of you Own your average. What you do is go like, okay, if I'm pretty average, that means the first time I try this thing, it's probably going to be pretty average. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to get average results and I'm going to take it and I'm going to get really curious and I'm going to figure out like what worked and what didn't work. And I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to tweak it a little bit and then I'm going to try again. And then I'm going to like see an interesting challenge or like evolution. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail the first few times that I try it. But like, no surprise to me because I'm average. So like, I'll try that thing and then I'll go. And then, and ultimately what that does is that builds, it builds a growth mentality. Yes. And over the course of weeks, years, decades, you are so much more likely to have mm. built something that is really extraordinary. And when I say build something, it doesn't mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It, uh, a company a ministry, a family culture, a neighborhood, uh, a community ethos, you are so much more likely to get to the, you know, to get to a, a period where you look back and you go, oh my gosh, look what we did. And we did it all, not because we were special or extraordinary, but just because like we went out and we did the thing and we tried and we made small promises. And then we actually kept those promises. One of the things that I really encourage people to do if you're feeling paralyzed by kind of this big dream is actually to make it smaller. One of the principles of the book is dream small. And the idea is if you're feeling paralyzed by a big vision, take that vision and then actually challenge yourself. And it's difficult because we live in a world that goes, dream big, dream big, dream bigger. (laughs) And I'm going to say, dream small, dream small. How much smaller can you make it? Make that dream so small, that you actually remove all of your obstacles and excuses. It is better to do the the thing that is like 0.1% of the big dream, but to do it, to say it out loud today, and then to act on it literally in the next 48 hours, that is infinitely more valuable than sitting for another day, another week, another year, another decade on the like impossibly big dream. Like, so I would just encourage you like opposite day, Challenge yourself to dream as small as it can possibly go, and then go actually do something about it.
0: So good. So good. And the wonderful thing about that is, is it's attainable and we're not setting ourselves up for disappointment or discouragement, which can just kind of pull the rug out from underneath you. I think the thing that has been so special about your message is that means no matter where you are right now, girls no matter your realm of influence, how small or how big that you as, and uh, here's, I guess, the big thing I wanted to say with dreaming small, but also being willing to be average, it makes so much room for God Yes, to yes, be big. Because yes. mm-hmm. when I've got big things to do for God, uh, to be honest, my personality is I tend to run ahead of him. And expect him to kind of follow me. Mm -hmm. And I think of that girl who thinks, yeah, I had a dream, but the choices I've made in my life has kind of closed the door. I I would just encourage you to to, to again, like, like Liz was saying, get quiet, get still, look at that and go, Lord, is there anything that's still there that you Mm want to do in me? And then begin to look around you because it could be the dream that he put in your heart way back then may look a little bit different. And I, for me, at least I've had to kind of even lay down some of my dreams of what I thought God was going to do. Yeah. Um, I had, I never dreamed I would be writing books. That was never, I mean, I love reading, but I was, I'm not a writer. I still in my mind, sometimes I struggle. I'm not a writer. I did have a passion to speak to women. And so that passion that God just did not open the doors and I had to lay that down, but then I had to be obedient along the way with what he was saying to Mm -hmm. me right now. And it turns out that writing books was, was the vehicle that he used to get me to that initial dream of speaking to women. So, so don't miss the ordinary, don't miss the opportunities that are all around you
1: And don't believe the lie that you have to for it to matter. You know, so Seiko now, long story short, we shifted our entire business model about three years ago to be a direct sales model. And so instead of selling through stores, we were like, well, what if we, because I was meeting hundreds, thousands of women who were paralyzed going like, I don't, I want to make an impact. I want to be a part of something. But like they would hear my story and feel totally Like, but I I can't like move to East Africa and start a vertically integrated manufacturing company, you know, from scratch. And so we really started thinking about like, okay, could we shift our business model here in the U.S. to answer that question for women here? at home. And could we put our products and our brand and our story and our impact instead of selling them, you know, at trade shows to stores, could we put that in the hands of women in their community? They can go out, they can style their friends, they can earn an income, they can host shows and they um, can sell the product and ultimately build our brand that way. Well, not to burst you know, not to spoil the story, but the answer was yes. Um, because that's, we're all in right now. And I tell the women in our community this all of the time. And I think it's an amazing picture of just like life in general. So there are women in our community who have quit their full-time jobs. You know, they're earning, you know, a lot of money every month. Like they are, they're entrepreneurs and they are like business builders. They're doing, you know, millions of dollars in sales. They, 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 and their teams are creating impact for, hundreds of artisans, they're fully funding scholarships. And I know in our community, we have this tendency to um, for women to look at those women and go like, oh, she's making a real impact. Yeah. Like she, if only I could be as successful as she does. What these women don't see is what I see from behind the curtains is like, cool, you know what? We need 10 or 20 of those women that are like, I wanna build a business. I wanna do millions of dollars in sales. I wanna lead these huge organizations. But in order for those women to be successful, we need 10 or 20 of them. We need like 5,000 women who are like, I want to host two shows a season. And then we need like 10,000 women who are like, I want to do one show a week. You know? And so it's like, there's this matrix. I can literally see the numbers of like, for us to create the impact that we want to create. Like I need a handful of women in this seat. I need a dozen women in this seat and I need several thousand women in this seat. And if the women in this seat that I'm pointing to that are like the women that are like, I'm going to join and I'm going to host two shows a season. You know, I'm a really busy mom. I've got three kids under the age of four. And, um, I, you know, I, I want to sell enough that I can be a part of this vision, that I can earn a little bit of money on the side. Like if, I need thousands of those women and thousands of those women together actually make it possible for us all to accomplish the broader mission. And I can't do it. Without those women. So when those women look at the women, the handful of women, the business builders, the entrepreneurs, the ones that are really running organizations, and they say, Oh, but I can't be her. So therefore, like, I can't make a big enough impact. I have this fire in my heart to say, Sister, no. Like, do you see what you're doing? You're devaluing your role. And I'm telling you unequivocally, we need. You and if you don't come to the table and play your part that you think might be small, that you think might be insignificant, we do not as a community get to make the impact and have the dream that we collectively want to have. Um, and so it's that insecurity and that, like, well, if I can't be like her, then it's not worth it, it's not big enough, it's not important enough. Um, and instead saying, like, who am I? What season of life am I in? What can I give? What am I called to? And like, I am telling you that those few shows a season are, they're going to add up and they are like, they are going to help the tide rise for all of us. So please, please, please do not devalue that. Um, because we need, we need women at literally every seat at the table.
0: That's so good. And I would say that's true of the church. It's true of the body of Christ. It's Absolutely. everywhere. You know, I think we 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 keep looking for the big imfa- impact rather than just being faithful with what we have. And I, I keep thinking of the little boy with a lunch, mm-hmm. <laughs> who just had his lunch, but he was willing to give it to Jesus and put in the Master's hand, blessed and broke and made enough to feed a multitude. And we yeah. may never see the power of our one, the power of our little. But in God's economy, really it's it's tripe, but little is much when God is in it. And so I just love this book and I hope that listeners will go out and get it. Um you you talk a lot about just just the principles of beginner's pluck. But I think it, for me, it was just what do I do with this one life I've been mm. given? I and that. I love that there's just so much room for us to not not replicate ourselves after Liz.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: But, but just be open to what God might want to do with our one little life right where we are with everything that we have and everything we don't have. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that it's that God can make it more than enough. You know, in your last chapter you just talk about the moment that um you met Jesus. Yeah. And I just, um, I'd love to have you tell that story because it's just so beautiful as we close and that girl out there who, um, maybe, maybe she knows Jesus, but she doesn't know that Jesus knows her. Mm. Would you tell that story? Yes.
1: So uh, I end the book with sharing the story. I was in high school Um, and I was in a just really, really, really broken season of life. My family was just absolutely kind of crumbling and falling apart. Not, no one else could see it. We did a really good job of, you know, making sure that we were like clean and happy and buttoned up, which in some ways added to kind of the pain of like, I'm going to school every day and I'm acting like everything's together and we're this like great happy family in the suburbs, but I know what's happening behind the scenes and I just felt so much shame about what was happening and so much fear about our future. And um, I had a lot, a lot of anger in my heart about what was happening. And um, I didn't know the Lord, but I was like spiritually curious. And I came across, um, a verse in Matthew that talks about forgiveness. And, um, in, in it's this verse where it says like, well, basically like if, if you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. And that weighed so heavily on me. And I thought, I, it it just seemed unimaginable to me in my 16-year-old state that i could ever actually have forgiveness and so i kind of had this devastating resigned sense of like well then i guess i can never be accepted by jesus like i can't because if i can't forgive then i can never be forgiven and that kind of precludes me from this great love that i've kind of heard about and am interested in and so um i was invited to a good friday reenactment, basically. It was like, frankly, this kind of like probably cheesy youth groupy, you know, like thing. It was like right before Easter. And some of my girlfriends were going, they were involved in a youth like uh, ministry organization that I wasn't actually a part of, but they invited me to come to this thing. And so I was like, okay, yeah, my girlfriends are going, like, I'm going to say yes, whatever. So I go to this you know, reenactment thing. And at the end of it, they have us do, again, kind of like a cheesy youth group thing. They hand out these like little index cards and they have us write on this index card, whatever it is that we want to leave kind of at the foot of the cross. And they actually have a guide. There's like a giant wooden cross and, you know, like a guy in costume that's like supposed to be playing Jesus who's like on the cross. And so we have this act of like kind of pouring ourselves out and then leaving this thing behind. Well, I started... Out, you know, kind of playing it kind of cool and like, oh my gosh, this is kind of cheesy and what are we doing? And then one thing led to another thing. And I just absolutely kind of the wells opened. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote about all of this brokenness that I was carrying in myself and all of this like sadness that I had about myself. That I was just, I just frankly felt like I was just too bad. I was too bad. I was too unforgiving. I was too angry. That it was just like obviously I could never be loved by. By someone else. I'm just kind of a bad, I'm in a bad situation and I'm a bad person because of it. And um, so all of my friends eventually leave, and I find myself just really kind of overcome. And I'm I'm writing and I'm writing and I'm writing, and I eventually go, and I, I remember I was so ashamed of what I was writing down that I actually remember just um writing over and over, like just layers and layers <laughs> so no one else so could, no see one could it. read it. So that was like in the event that someone is going to read these things, like it needs to be illegible. And then kind of like smearing the like, you know, pencil and making it so that like, it was literally impossible. And then I like folded it up. And I put it, you know, at the base of the cross. And then um, this, this little event was being hosted in someone's like backyard, kind of like back in the woods. And so there was like quite a long walk actually from where it was held to kind of up on the road. And so I'm walking down the road. I'm by myself. I was like the last person to leave and I'm by myself. It's totally quiet, kind of on this like side road. And I just absolutely have, I just completely break down just like the weight of the world and of the, the, what the shame and the guilt and the lack of hope that I was feeling. I literally, and by the way, I was like a very, Um, I never cried. I was like a very tough kid, you know? And so I'm like on literally on the side of the road. I just get to a point where I can't walk anymore. And I'm on the side of the road and I'm bawling. I'm just heaving. I'm crying. And, um, all of a sudden I don't, I have no idea like how long I'm on the side of the road. I feel these arms around me. I just feel like pressure on my shoulders and I feel these arms around me and I'm so distraught. I'm so, broken that I literally don't even look up. I'm just like crying. I'm so ashamed. My head is in my hands. And I think, I think that maybe it's one of my friends has like come back. I don't even really know what I was thinking. Um and through my tears I say, I just if I can't I can't possibly understand how if I can't forgive, how could I ever be forgiven? And um I just hear a man's voice, which surprised me, say you are. Hmm. And, um, I look up and it's Jesus. <laughs> it's the guy who had been playing Jesus. And the, and so here's this image of me. I'm just literally on the side of the road and I'm being held by Jesus who's saying, and he just keeps saying over and over again, like you are, hmm. you are, you are, you are no questions, no ifs, ands, or buts. Like you are like in, you know, I heard, um, a spiritual teacher. I think it was Richard Rohr, Rohr say once, like, the work is in accepting that you're already accepted. Like mm. the work is understanding that you are already loved and living out of that belief and out of that truth that like, and you know, the the chapter of the book is called like, you are like, you are worthy. Like you are forgiven. Mm -hmm. You are good enough. You are God's child. You, you already are. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's not something that you have to strive for. It's not something that you have to achieve. It's not a level that you have to get to. It's not a checkbox. Like literally if you live out the rest of your life out of that belief that like you already have all of that, like, Mm -hmm. Jesus went before us. So we don't yeah. need perfection. Like we don't need achievement. Like we are covered by that. So we already are. And we can live out of that peace. We can live out of that sense um, that like our lives don't need to be a striving. Our lives can literally be an overflow of like of that, of that truth and of that belief.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so, so beautiful Liz.
1: I thought this was going to be the time. You'd think after all this time, you think after writing it in a freaking book, I could say it without crying, but I still can't.
0: No, that's why, I mean, I could feel the power in the book. I'm like, I've got to have her tell that story. <laughs> I think you're talking to a lot of girls mm. who need to know that. You know, I'm, I think we really do buy the lie that, yeah, Jesus paid for heaven, but we don't really believe mm. that he paid for here right now. And so I just want to pray for those girls. Would you join mm. me with this? Yeah. Lord, we're just asking that you would you would meet that girl on the side of her road today, right where she is. She might even have to pull over if she's driving and listening to this. She might literally need to pull to the side of the road. And Lord, would you put your arms around her? And would you whisper to the deepest, deepest places in her heart that you love her, Mm. that you have paid the price for all of her shame, all of her guilt, all of her fear, all of her not enoughness. What you did on the cross, Lord, was more than enough, more than enough. And Lord, would you just For all of us, even those of us who maybe we feel like we've gotten a hold of that, there is still parts of our heart that need to be evangelized Mm -hmm. by the good news. Would you go, Lord, as we just invite you, as we receive everything you did on the cross for us, would you go to those deep, deep places and would you put your love and your acceptance? And then, Lord, by your grace, <laughs> would you enable us to receive it afresh and a new today? Mm-hmm. Lord, thank you for Liz. Thank you for what she's doing around the world. Lord, we, we thank you for these women on the other side of this globe we live on that you are, are raising up. Lord, would you minister to those girls in Africa just as you're ministering to us? And would you, Lord, <laughs> would you perform your purposes in us and just give us the grace to cooperate <laughs> and the eyes to see what you might want to do right where we are in, in little ways that are so, so big in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
1: So good. I Every night when I put my son to sleep, we have a a few poems that we recite together. And in one of them, there's a line that says, there's nothing I can do to make God love me less or more. I don't have to hurry or worry. Jesus settled the score. And I think that would be my prayer for, for these listeners today.
0: So beautiful. I don't know about you, but I love how individually God works in our lives. Did you know that you are not called to live your life like anyone else? In fact, God has designed you uniquely and special. There is a a whole world that needs to see you at who you really there's a whole world who needs to see you as you really are. I found that as I've drawn close to Jesus, he's not only changed me into his likeness and into the fullness of what he meant me to be. But he's also worked his purposes. And as you draw close to him, I can promise you, you're not going to miss what he made you for. And you're not going to mess it up. Well, I'd love to hear what spoke most to you in today's episode. You can leave a comment on the blog and access all of Liz's wonderful resources as well as her book. Just go to JoannaWeaverBooks.com forward slash 039 or leave a comment over at Instagram or Facebook. You can find me by searching for Joanna Weaver Books. Uh, another idea is to take a screenshot with your phone of this episode and then post it on your social media with the hashtag Living Room Podcast. I'm going to do my best to search for those comments and respond. Though we've probably never met, I want you to know that you're often in my thoughts and prayers. I've been praying that this podcast would not only encourage you, but also inspire you to draw close to Jesus and then just be available to Him. Because I really, really believe that there's nothing more powerful than a woman that's fully committed to the Lord, living and loving and leading like Jesus. See you next time, my friend. God bless.